Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. This is Arden O'Connor, one of the co-hosts of the podcast, and I'm joined by Diana Clark. And today we have a very distinguished guest and a friend, uh, Julia Carroll, joining us. And her background, frankly, could take up the entire podcast if we wanted it to. She is president and COO of the Watermill Group, and she is responsible for the overall firm operations and helping to look at the portfolio companies at Watermill. Um, She has an incredible educational background from Tufts to Stanford. I think she's been named every award that's possible. The ones that stand out to me are Most Influential Woman in Mid-Market M&A by Mergers and Acquisitions Magazine for three consecutive years. She's a member of YPO. She has a number of different philanthropic engagements. And most relevant to today's podcast, she runs a podcast herself um, and was an inspiration for us to start this podcast. Her podcast, Storked, explores and celebrates the many paths to building a family. So welcome, Julia. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you today. We are too. And I'm going to jump right in because, you know, as you and I have discussed many times, fertility is a very touchy subject. You know, why is it so touchy? And can you tell us a little bit about your personal story and what gave you the courage to start a podcast on this topic? Yeah, um, so that that's two really important questions to unpack. Um, I'm going to tackle the first one, which is why is fertility so touchy, and then tell you a little bit about myself and my journey. Um, I think fertility is a very difficult subject in part because it speaks to what we want from our lives and the vision that we've had for who we are and how we want to show up in this world. And when you are facing either challenges with your own fertility or questions about how you want to build a family, you're often facing a gap or a distance between what you expected or want to have and what's reality. And whenever we're confronted with reality, whenever we face that more difficult challenge, um, it really calls into question, who are you? What do you want from your life? How are you going to navigate something that is not coming out the way that you had hoped? And so for me, whenever we have conversations around fertility or family building, it's not just about who is your family? What does your family look like? What's the composition? It's really about who are you? How do you navigate through challenges? How do you handle those deep life questions when things aren't going your way? And so, you know, that's probably an oversimplification for what can be a very painful and deeply raw and emotional process for some people. But I think it really speaks to when things aren't going right or going the way you envisioned, which may or may not be right. um, What do you do? And so, so that's, to me, what fertility means, you know, when somebody says they're going through a fertility experience, what I hear underlying that statement is, I'm going through a process of pain and growth and exploration and deep questions and all of the, the um, wrestling that one does with self-identity. That's a great answer. This is Diana. Welcome to the show. I would imagine that there are many ups and downs on this kind of journey, punctuated by grieving, giving up that 
ideal of what you thought your future was going to look like. How did you cope with ups and downs of the journey? How do you recommend people cope? Oh my gosh. I, you know, I, I think fertility and family building is all about grief. It's all about, um, as I, as I described it, the distance between what you want and what reality is. And so I'll tell you about my process. Um, and my grief, and it looks different for everyone because, first of all, our visions for what we want for ourselves are different, and then um, what's happening in our bodies and what's happening in our lives is different for everyone. But for me, um, my journey was punctuated, or, or the grieving process really started when I had a pretty nasty breakup in my mid-30s. And in hindsight, the breakup wasn't nasty because I was... I had found my perfect person and had lost that person. It, it was nasty because um, even though this person was definitively not right for me, we were on a trajectory, or so I thought, to do the things that I thought were important to me that were included marriage and kids and building a life that I always thought I would have and a life that I th always thought I wanted. And when that relationship ended, so too ended my hopes and dreams around having a family, or so I thought. And so I went through this like deep, dark, very bad place where I was really just wrestling with what am I gonna do now? And, and I was so heartbroken over the relationship ending. And when I look back in hindsight, it had nothing really to do with the person, although I did love him and he was a wonderful man. Um, it really had to do with this, this loss that I felt, this deep sense of loss for who I was and what I wanted. Um, I spent a lot of time in the depths of that grief. I worked with therapists. I worked with life coaches. Um, I worked with a purpose coach. I mean, you name it. I did all of the work. I um, moved home with my parents for a short period of time. I like cried my eyes out for far too long than probably is healthy on an emotional level. Um, and then I froze my eggs and I said, okay, I'm going to start taking steps and build an action plan so that if this is not going to happen with a partner, then I have a, a backup plan. I've got an alternative resource. So I froze my eggs and I said, okay, I'll never use those eggs. I'll meet somebody eventually. It's going to be wonderful and we'll build a family together. And things progressed and my career deepened and my efforts around um, building myself professionally deepened. And the people I were dating, I was dating at the time, just weren't quite right for family building. And so um, I come to a place where I am now, which was, I'm 38 years old, turning 39 actually this week. And um, really needed to think about, am I ready to do this on my own? Am I ready to pull this trigger? Coincidentally, I had started dating somebody who is wonderful and is the kind of person you'd want to build a family with, but the relationship just wasn't ready and he isn't ready. So I decided to do it on my own. And um, early January of 2020, I started exploring fertility options and meeting with doctors and getting my levels tested and doing some of the foundational things to f begin a fertility journey. I also explored alternative options like adoption and, um, and wrestling with what would happen if I chose not to have a family, if I chose to, to be childless by choice. Um, in that journey, I started the podcast, which we can talk about later or not. And um, I'm happily currently pregnant with a sperm donor. And uh, uh. it went, you know, there was some ups and downs for sure. We can talk about all that. But um, yeah, I, I am embarking on a life as some people call it a single mom by choice. Um, some people call it a solo parent, which I really like because it divorces the parenting from whether or not you're coupled. Um, it just suggests that you're 
you're parenting solo. And, and so I really like that term. I love that term too. And I, first of all, congratulations from both Diana and I. It's exciting news. Um, Thank you. And I give you credit for just being so bold and not saying, you know, because my current partner isn't ready for this, then I'm going to choose a different path. Because I think, you know, life takes us in all different paths and it can be a different journey for every one of us. And I think when you determine you want to have a family, the way in which it unfolds can, can be somewhat determined by the people you're around and their opinions and their views. So I, I think it takes an especially courageous person to say, despite me being happy in the situation I'm in, I still want something different and I'm going to take that next step. Um, you know, as you think about people either who have been guests on your podcast or people who are listening, you know, what advice do you have for people who are just starting out in their fertility journeys? You know, single, married, any, you know, separated, whatever the, whatever their current status is. Yeah. I mean, the first is for me, I had to really hold on to the touch point of why am I doing this? Because there are so many ups and downs and you second guess and question yourself to some extent. Um, and so I, I think for me, I needed to do the wrestling with why do I want this and what am I willing to give up in order to have it before or maybe early in the journey, the fertility journey, because there will be days when you are just at your, at your lowest low because you're on hormones and things aren't going correctly. And, um, or if you're not doing the fertility treatments yourself, if a partner is or a surrogate is or somebody else in your life is, uh, you may not be experiencing hormones, but you may be experiencing uh, the relational impact of somebody else's hormones. Um, or the financial impact of the process. So there will be moments when you're confronted with, is this the right choice? And if you can touch back to, here's why I'm doing this, here's why it's a good path for me, with a level of certainty, then I think that's really useful. So before I could even do the process, I had to get very clear with myself about if I had to choose, if I had to do that Sophie's Choice moment between having a partner who is loving and supportive and wonderful and never, ever getting the chance to have kids or losing a partnership or, or you know, never progressing in a partnership but having kids, which do I cho- choose? Which, which, one, which path is the right path for me? And for me, it was a no-brainer. Like, I couldn't, I closed my eyes and I just couldn't imagine a life where I wasn't parenting in some way. And so... I got to keep going back to that. Um, And I had to keep going back to that because there'll be bumps in the road. The second thing I think I would recommend, and this is, it's going to sound like maybe trite, maybe, maybe not, but is relying on your community because there were moments when I needed my mom to prop me up emotionally. Like, yes, you're, you're doing this. You know, the cheerleader uh, of it is you've got this. It's great. Um, or certain friends of mine played that role. So I didn't loop everyone into the process because it was, it was so many ups and downs for you to share everything that's going on with everyone in your life. But there were certain key people who knew what was going on and I could call them or text them and say, oh, I just got bad news that this cycle didn't work or, you know, I might have to do surgery to remove something so that I can ha- clear the pathway, so to speak. And so the two things for me were reminding myself constantly why I was doing it and then also having a community to support me. That makes sense. And that actually is the whole beginning of parenting, right? The idea that you're going to need a community to do it with you. I don't know that yet, but I, um, if you're right about that, then I'm feeling really lucky because I've got just the most incredible group of people who surround me with love every day. That's wonderful. You made a really poignant comment about you couldn't imagine yourself not having a family. 
when you closed your eyes, that just was not something you could imagine giving up voluntarily anyway, I would imagine. But what about those people who are more ambivalent? Do you have advice for them? Um, that's really tricky. And I've, I've had some really interesting conversations with people who are not sure that they want to move forward or with a fertility journey or with a family building journey, or who think they might not want to have kids or might want to define family in different ways. And they're not sure that that's okay. And so I think there's two things to think about when you're, when there's ambivalence is to plumb the, to understand better where the ambivalence comes from. Is it that you're afraid that if you make a choice, it's the wrong choice and that others will judge you? Um, Or that uh, it's not even about judgment, it's just that, is is it a fear of making the wrong choice? or is it that you truly don't know what you want? And if it's, if it's the second one, if it's you, that you truly don't know what you want, there are some options that you can start taking now. For instance, before I was ever ready to be- begin a fertility journey, I froze my eggs. And that was a physical option available to me. Um, or let me say it was available to me both financially and physically. Um, and so that gave me optionality as I chose to explore my dating life. There are other things that you can do that will give you optionality until you're ready to make a decision. Some of them include, you know, saving for uh, the eventual expenses of fertility. Some of them include talking to therapists or whatever your chosen resources to explore your own emotions. Um, But I do think in general, when you're not certain, preserving optionality is key. In the case of the former, I think there's so many messages that we receive in this culture about what we should have, that if we have an inkling in the back of our minds or or in our guts that what we should have may not be what we want, I think it can be hard to reconcile that. It can be hard to get comfortable with that. And so it's very possible that ambivalence comes from the fact that you may not want something. It may not look the way that it does for your friends or your family, and it may not be the right fit for you, but you're anxious or nervous or hesitant to say that out loud. Um, And I I do encourage people to really try to understand, is my ambivalence because I'm not sure yet? Or is my ambivalence a fear-based ambivalence that I'm not ready to proclaim yet what I want? Does that make any sense? That makes a ton of sense. I would just add, I I think it's so eloquently said, Julia, because it certainly mirrored my own journey as I talked about on the podcast. A lot of it is, you know, once you say you're going to go forward and have a child friends, family, you know, people take notice. And so sometimes staking a claim in the ground, for me, I felt personal ambivalence around, am I ready to say I'm going to do this with or without a partner? I came from a traditional background where my parents were married and I assumed that's what I would be. And I would have had children, you know, 10 years ago by now. Um, And when that didn't come to fruition, I think I held out hope for a long time. It's just around the corner. And finally, you know, you, if you're going to go through this journey, you kind of have to make that declaration to yourself and ultimately even to a small group of people around you for most of us. And that, that process took me, I would say it took me probably three years to just come to the realization that I was ready to say, okay, I'm going to move forward with this. And I had such expectations around what that meant for me. And it's turned out, I was, I think I wildly overestimated you know, how different it would feel or how much it would impact my dating life. In general, yes, there are certain people who have certain reactions and um, there's probably dates I won't go on and that'll be okay, but it isn't nearly as dramatic as how I had built it up in my mind, which was like, I was going to say this and and somehow the world was going to turn because of my decision, if that makes sense. 
Oh my gosh, I totally agree with that. I think there is something very powerful in the act of proclaiming that you want something, particularly if it's something that you don't yet have. You know, it's it's difficult to say, look at this thing, I want it, and I may never have it to somebody other than yourself. And so um, if you are at that point where you're ready to have those conversations, it's important to pick the people that you want to talk to first, the ones that you know are going to support you no matter what. It's not, as I mentioned, something that you necessarily want to disclose to everyone until you feel fully ready. And for me, the, the concentric circles opened up more and more and more. The more people I spoke to, the more I got validation in my choices and the more comfortable I felt. So that by the time I spoke to the circle of people who may not validate my choice, it didn't matter what they thought mm -hmm. because I was so certain about my path. Um, but I couldn't tell everyone in my life because I just didn't want some of the, or I guess I was afraid to hear some of the alternative opinions, uh, pushback, um, or anything that wouldn't be fully 100% having my back and my choices. So I fully agree with that. I, on the flip side of that coin is that whenever you talk about something vulnerable, I do believe that the other person that you speak to about that vulnerability with tends to open up with a vulnerability of their own. And whenever there are things in my life that I've shared with others that I thought, oh gosh, like I, this, this is not something I can share. This is too vulnerable. It's too intimate. It's too, um, too sensitive. It's too raw. And I do share it. I find that I, the, the sense of connection I get with the other person is so much more meaningful. It amplifies whatever I'm going through in a positive way. And so that was true for two things. It was true for my fertility journey and it was true for, um, there's a person in my family who has an addiction. And whenever I would share that there was an addict in my family, you know, at first it was very scary. And the more I shared it, the more comfortable I got with it. The shame went away. The fear went away. The distance from other people went away. So I'm really an advocate for finding those moments of commonality because you never know somebody else might be going through something around fertility or family building. And if you're the first to say, hey, this is something I want and I'm going for it and you know it's hard, you, you never know who's gonna be going through it too and you can find that um, community. It's a, it's a great point. I wanted to ask you a question that's you know really relevant to this podcast, um, which is the issue of around affluence and money and the fertility journey. And I was struck by something you said around preserving optionality, which has always been a goal of mine, and you know the realization during this process of you know gratitude of that I can afford the various different consultations and surrogacy and all the various elements that are required. You know, I'm curious how you think about money and affluence and how they play a part in somebody's fertility journey. Oh my gosh, that is such a hard question. Um, if you look at if you look at the U.S. specifically, because that's the only one I can speak to, our um, our healthcare system really doesn't support anyone who's choosing to do something or forced to do something outside of the normal path. You know, if you don't get pregnant naturally within a year, um, our, our system just isn't set up to provide resources that are financially accessible to everyone. And so I'm hyper aware that the things that we're talking about, fertility treatments, um, freezing your eggs, using a sperm donor, you know, some of those are out of reach for many people and, and or have to be done in an alternative way. Um, that's not to say that they're totally unavailable. And th what is so impressive is that the medical community has made so many huge strides that 
things are more effective and more accessible now than they ever have been, but we're a far cry from making them accessible and available to everyone. Um, so yes, I think one of the things that we don't think about as young women in our early 20s is that we need to be saving for things that might not go the way we want. You know, we, we think about saving for maybe a down payment eventually or, um, you know, the various other things that you might want as an adult. But in my 20s, I wasn't really thinking about that stuff. I was thinking about what party I was going to go to on Friday night and our, <laughs> where I was going to do brunch on Sunday. And so some of these financial things were a little bit of a surprise to me, um, how little was covered by insurance and how much I would have to cover. And I'm extremely grateful that I had the resources, the savings, et cetera, in order to do that. I'm also really grateful that my fertility journey was a relatively quick one because I was able to pay out of pocket for certain things, insurance covered certain things, and then the next path available to me, the next step, had the IUIs not worked, would have been IVF. And that, at that point, given the, the work I had already done with my doctor, would have been at least the first round covered by insurance. So you're absolutely right that this is something that isn't available to everyone. That said, there are some resources that are making it a little bit more accessible. There's a couple of financial resources where you can take out a loan like you would student debt, uh, a student loan. And so those, those are coming to fruition. There's some other great um, innovations in the sperm donor space where rather than pay a, a company that um, collects the sperm, stores it, gets you the information on the gentleman, you know, and, and sort of manages that as a broker, there are some that work almost like almost like Hinge or Bumble, but to meet a sperm donor live and in person who will introduce you, you, know, you sorry, who could be your known donor and you can just get the sperm directly from them. I've heard of people doing that and that makes it more financially viable. Um, there's some at-home kits that you can use. There's more and more at-home fertility testing kits that you can do. So for you know, $100, $150, you can test your sperm count or your estrogen levels or whatever, which is a lot more feasible. It's still expensive, but it's a lot more feasible than going into a doctor's office and fighting with insurance to get some of those tests done. So I'm excited about the innovations, um, both the, the, the creative business models that are approaching the fertility space, as well as the tools and resources, the physical products that are reaching the fertility space. And I'm hopeful that as more entrepreneurs enter the space, it'll become more accessible to us. So I have one big question for you. What excites sure. you most about becoming a mother? Oh my God, that's such a good question. Okay, so I am six months pregnant right now. I have three months to go. And I think I'm at that point where it's like just becoming real. And I'm a little bit terrified, <laughs> you know? Um, but from an excitement standpoint, I'm really excited to meet the child and, and learn about his or her personality. Um, and to start having a new relationship, you know, with something that I've never, in a new way, with somebody that I've never met before. I think the experience of parenting um, changes you and your relationship with yourself, as well as gives you this new being to have a lifelong relationship with. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. That's um, a great answer. Yeah, I don't know. You, tell me what I, what I should be expecting. <laughs> I think it is one of the few times in life that you unambivalently fall off a cliff in love. Mm. Oh, that sounds really nice. I like that. I want that. There you go. It's a beautiful way to say it, because I don't think 
I don't think that happens for, and I'll, I'll speak, I'll take the liberty to speak for both Julia and I, but for very rationally minded, uh, type A organized women, I think the idea of falling off a cliff in love you know, with the exception of my animals, which that happened with, there's been very few instances. You know, I've, I grew up in love with my family, but other than that, I, I think even in those moments when it's been romantic love, there's still always been this, you know, just as I'm falling off the cliff, well, wait a minute though, you know, was he as funny <laughs> as I thought he was going to be? And is he a little shorter than me? You know, that kind of thing. So it, I like the idea of it just being a all in, you know, uh, experience. I relate to that too. And Julia, you know, one question I have is, you know, as you think about the journey and folks who are experiencing difficulty on it, you know, how do you, and, and maybe people who are even experiencing joy with it, you know, any advice for listeners who are, who they themselves are not necessarily going through a fertility journey, but they're supporting someone or they know someone, you know, in terms of how they can provide support in a way that's helpful as, as opposed to intrusive. Yeah, that's a really hard one. Um, it's hard because there's so many wonderful intentions and I have been both on the receiving and the giving end of those intentions. So I've got friends who are going through this and um, having received it myself, I think the best thing you can do is just be there for the person. Mm -hmm. And so that means, you know, sometimes with some of my friends, I know when their treatments are, I know when they're expecting to hear their results. And it may be just a little text, like, I know today's a big day for you, no need to text back, but I'm here. Or you know, reminding them that they're on the right path, that, that hopefully some way, fashion or another, it will work out. Um, now, working out doesn't always mean you're going to get a baby that is yours mm -hmm. genetically and that you get to deliver, right? There's so many ways that it can work out. It, working out could include um, that you decide that, to stop trying and to relax into a partnership with whomever you're dating or married to and, and that you choose that that's the right fit for you. Um, or working out could be that you choose to go the adoption route and that you meet the love of your life and they just happen to be handed to you rather than uh, delivered by you. And there's a multitude of other answers for what it means to work out. But it's just a reminder that however somebody wants their life to come together, it will likely come together. And also no expectations that you're going to be informed of what's going on in the process, um, that you're going to be the person they turn to and cry to if they're having a bad day. You just want to be available and say, if you need a shoulder, I'm here. If you need love, I'm here. Um, but no expectation, you know, because however somebody wants to process needs to be their own processing. I love that. I think it's, it, it very much resonates with my own experience on both ends and, um, and I think it's just good for people to hear because I think, you know, like many things that are touchy subjects, people don't know, do you bring it up? Do you not bring it up? And how, yeah. how do you remain supportive? And I love the idea of no expectations because, you know, f for many of us, and you address this in the beginning of the podcast, we want a certain segment of people to know, you know, at certain stages and, and for both, you know, you don't want to jinx it or health concerns or privacy issues. You're not necessarily going to blast it out. And it's not necessarily a judgment around who you like more. It's just a simple, you know, this is my preference at this stage of the game. So I, I think your, your points are, are very well taken. There's something else that's coming to mind and Arden uh, and Diane, I'd, I'd be very curious about what your thoughts are in this, but I think there's also something about celebrating these milestones and not making it all about the end result. So for instance, uh, my friends really celebrated for me when I chose my sperm donor. You know, when I finally made a, a decision around who that would be, 
there was a lot of love and support and I think there was even like a cupcake sent to my door, you know, that kind of thing that was like, yes, you, you picked this person. (laughs) And so then it becomes more about the journey and not about we'll celebrate when you have a child. So there's something there too. And I don't really know how to articulate or put my finger on it. You know, simplistically, the way I think about it is celebrating smaller achievements instead of the big milestone. And we joke about it even at our company that, you know, we're waiting for the day that X happens. You know, we, we hire this person, we reach this sales goal, whatever that might be. And we forget to notice that, you know, this week we achieved this smaller milestone or we got this many new referrals or whatever, whatever it might be. And so we're, you know, we as a team and, and me personally, because I'm the guiltiest of this, we sort of achieve something that I thought would have been impossible. And I'm like, that's great. Okay, now move on to the next goal. Um, <laughs> yeah. And very much with a baby, you either have one or you don't. And that and that for me, you know, it's been a long process and people are anxiously awaiting for updates that I don't have. So I like the idea of saying, let's kind of look at the journey together and let's celebrate even small moments. And I will say, you know, for me personally, one of the better ones on on my journey was doing a Zoom wine date with the owners of the egg donor agency and my mom and the egg donor herself. And that, um, I didn't realize how, what a big deal that would be now months later, but I think very fondly. And it was just a 45 minute, you know, Zoom meeting, but it made me feel infinitely more comfortable that I'd made the right decision. Um, And it felt like a really special moment to share with my mom, who's been instrumental in this journey for me. So I think you, you raise a really good point instead of just looking at the end game, sort of making sure you're kind of tracking how things move along. Yeah. And I think, you know, to the first question that you guys asked, um, which was, you know, how do you know that you're ready? Well, how do you make the decision? What do you do with ambivalence? When you make that decision that you're going to pursue a family building journey, however it looks, that decision point is one of the biggest decisions uh, because the rest is out of your control. You know, whether you're placed with a foster child or an adopted child or, um, or the fertility process works for your body, everything else is outside of your control. The only thing you control is the choice to step forward into this journey. So celebrating that moment and saying, wow, okay, look at this. You've, you've made this huge life choice. And however the outcome, I support you. That, I think, is one of the best things you could do for somebody. It's a great note to end on. Julia, thank you so thank much for being you. willing to come on the podcast today and talk about a personal but important topic as we think on Beyond the Balance Sheet about you know issues that are applicable to many audiences, but we're here to focus on affluent families and their advisors. And I you know, personally know from the work we've done that there are many advisors who are working with families going through this process. And I think if nothing else, we just hope to be a resource and another place that people can learn about others' journeys. So thank you so much. Thank you, Julia. I've loved this. Uh, it was really wonderful to talk to you ladies and the conversation has been fabulous. So thank you so much for your time today too. And thank you to all the listeners for tuning in for another episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a a strong rating on your preferred application of choice. And we hope that you'll tune in for our next episode. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.